Welcome to Daily Living for Christ, 86,400 seconds in a day. Imagine the possibilities of what your life would become if you dedicated an additional 60 seconds each day to walk closer with Christ. Well, that's what we're here for. We are here to partner with you on your journey to drawing closer to Christ. 86,400 seconds. Are you ready? 86,400 seconds. Are you ready to become what Christ has already declared you are? Let's jump in now. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I must say we are now in the book of Acts. I am calling this study here the, uh, what am I going to call this? I forgot it. It's the, it's the young Church in Action is what I want to call it, but the official book is called the Acts of the Apostle. We are going to stay in the book of Acts for however long it takes for us to get what we need to get out of the book of Acts. I'm excited about going into this this study. Why? Because we were led last year or told to go into the book of Acts this year. So there has to be something inside of the book or inside of the letter that, uh, yeah, inside of the letter for us to actually receive and to help us move forward into experiencing the visible manifestation of the presence of the Lord in our lives. So I asked this question, I'm going to put it out there. And I'd love to get your feedback on it. If you want to, you can send me an email. Um, let me know what your thoughts are. What is your impression of the book of Acts? It's important for us to, to really dive into this, to get an understanding of the book of Acts. Because it's, it, it starts, it's the beginning. Acts is the genesis of the church. So as we go in, I'm going to read a couple of introductions tonight. I don't know how far I'm going to get. I want to set this up. I want to flow in this as, as much as I can. You, you guys know that I'm a huge fan of Eugene H. Peterson. He wrote the Message Bible. So I want to read through his introduction, and I want to just provide some information first because if we grab a hold of the information, it'll really help us out. But the first thing I want you to know, the book of Acts is the second gospel or the second letter that Luke wrote. It is the continuation of the letter or what we would call the, it's the, the gospel of Luke is the first letter and Acts is the second letter. So I want to put that out there, and I'm probably going to repeat myself again. But let me read some information on the introduction, and then I want you to, to kind of grab hold of this because this is going to set up where we're going. 
So because the story of Jesus is so impressive, God among us, God speaking a language we can understand, God acting in ways that heal and help and save us. There is a danger that we will be impressed, but only be impressed. As the spectacular dimensions of this story slowly or suddenly drawn upon us, we could easily become enthusiastic spectators and then let it go at that. Become admirers of Jesus, generous in our oohs and ahs, and in our better moments, inspire to imitate him. It is Luke's task to prevent that, to prevent us from becoming mere spectators to Jesus, fans of the message, of the original quartet of writers on Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke alone continues to tell the story as the apostles and the disciples live it into the next generation. The remarkable thing is that it continues to be essentially the same story. Luke continues his narration with hardly a break, a pause perhaps, to dip the pen in the inkwell, writing the same style, using the same vocabulary. The story of Jesus doesn't end with Jesus. I want you to get that. The story of Jesus doesn't end with Jesus. It continues in the lives of those who believe in him. The supernatural does not stop with Jesus. Luke makes it clear that these Christians he wrote about were no more spectators of Jesus than Jesus was a spectator of God. They are in on the action of God, God acting in them, God living in them, which also means, of course, in us. So when you start to really, just as we set into this, the book of Acts is the second installment in Luke's history or the ministry of Jesus. We understand when you, when you read the Gospels, the Gospels basically tell us about the life of Jesus. They show up, they, the, the gospel invites us into the story of the good news, how God became flesh and dwelt among us, how God sent his son into the world or sent himself into the world through Jesus, how God was actually came to earth 
to be with us so that God was no longer far off, but God was amongst us. So when you read this, when you get to the Gospels, this is what it was. So in the Gospels, Luke, basically, in his book, he focused on the person of Jesus himself. He focused on his life. He focused on his death. And he focused on his resurrection. So remember that. He focused on Jesus' life his death, and his resurrection. Now in the book of Acts, he picks up where the gospel left off, where the gospel left off to show us how the risen Savior, get this now, how the risen Savior continued to minister through the church. You got to get this how the risen Savior continued to minister through the church. Jesus kept saying he had repeatedly encouraged the disciples to expect that after he ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit would be given. We're going to read this. I want to give you to set this up, that the Holy Spirit would be given to them. I want you to think about this. If you've never seen it this way. The Gospels was Jesus walking with people. In the book of Acts, Jesus is walking or is living in people. So it is no longer Jesus on the outside walking with you. Throughout the whole Old Testament, the Spirit of God came upon the prophets, the priest, and the king. Throughout the Gospels, the Spirit of God was with them. And in the inauguration of the church, from here, from the inauguration of the church until Jesus himself comes back again, is the Spirit of God living in man and how men and women function with the Spirit of God living in us. This is the great mystery. This is the great thing. In the Old Testament, it was it first started out in the Old Testament, you you understand with Moses, right? With Moses, God dwelt with them in the tabernacle. Right? In the tabernacle, it said that there was fire by night and there was a cloud by day. So wherever wherever the fire was or wherever they saw the fire, that meant that the presence of God was with them. So when the fire moved, they moved. When the cloud moved, they moved. All the way through, he lived in a temporary temple. Then we come up through the through the Old Testament, and we see that Solomon built him a temple. We see that all these different things, and, and God was not wanting to ever be in a temple. He didn't ever want to have a place to dwell that was built by human hands. 
from the foundation of time, God wanted to dwell with man and in man, not in a temple. So when we see in the book of Acts, he actually is fulfilling the thing that the one thing that his desire was, was to get back in communication with man. So when we think about as we're reading or we're studying, and when you go back into the book of Acts, you remember that Acts is the genesis of the church. It is the beginning of the church. It is the, it is the creation story for the church. It is the creation story for where we live today. It's so important for us to remember that. So, and when I say this, Jesus's resurrection and his ascension, watch this now, Jesus's resurrection and his ascension would inaugurate a new era of God at work from within his people and through his people. This has never happened before. He worked outside with people. But because of the work and the finished work that Jesus did, God now has access to dwell in in us. Let me just say it that way, to dwell in us. And when we think about it from that, and I'm saying inaugurate, because that means the Genesis or the beginning. And that's what Jesus was saying when he, at the Last Supper, he said, listen, he said, in my blood, this is a new testament. So what was done before was considered old, but in this newness, This is what's going to happen. And notice the Last Supper took place before Jesus goes to the Passion, before he exercises the Passion of the Christ, where he endures the cross on our behalf, and then he comes down and he's resurrected. All of that happened before to set us up for what we are living today. I want to read you something because I want to make sure that I get this on. I want to make sure my readers, I want to make sure you guys get this. I'm reading uh, inside of a book. It's called The Spiritual Intelligence. It is by, um, let me give you the title, Spiritual Intelligence. It is by, um, whoops. Oh, I'll give it to you in a second. But the book is called The Spiritual Intelligence, The Art of Thinking Like God. And I want to introduce you to a principle. And this principle, this principle is called the principle of first mention. And if you're driving in your car, pull over to the side of the road because this is going to be mind blowing when you think when you hear this it, it's it's incredible the knowledge that'll come from this and here so 
the principle of first mention. It says, the principle states that the first time we hear information about any subject, it becomes the way in which we view the topic from that point on. So the first time we hear information about a subject, it becomes the way in which we view that topic from that point on. Now watch this. In other words, the information you receive first about something creates a lens by which you view that subject. So it creates a lens by which you view that subject. Everything you hear or experience, this is it. Everything you hear after or hear or experience after that, after the first exposure to that topic will be processed through the information you received first. You know where I'm going here. Watch this. This is where this gets better. I'm going to keep, I'm just, I'm setting up the book of Acts. The first mentioned information creates a lens of truth by which we measure and or evaluate all other preceding info concerning that theme. Grab a hold of that. Now watch this. We start to think about the church. What was the first information you heard about the church? Where did that information come from? Was it the book of Acts? Or was it from the pulpit and someone explained to us what they thought about the church? Now watch this. With this understanding, wait, let me keep going. Here's the issue here. This creates a number of concerns because the primary concern being the unhealthy dynamic that it takes place when first mentioned information is wrong or inaccurate. So if we have never really gotten or went into the book of Acts to see exactly how it was. Every bit of information that we've learned about the church and how the church should function and how the church should flow. If we learn something else first, we're actually getting the information. If it's incorrect, our life is being shaped by that information. But here is the beautiful thing about this. Because God is a spirit, and we are spirit beings, and he lives in us through the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He can change the the information that we first receive 
that was inaccurate or incorrect. And now I'm understanding why now, in year three, the Holy Spirit has led us to this book or to the book of Acts. Because now he wants us to get a visual and a experiential understanding of what is and how the church first began. And once we get that, he is rewriting. There it is, Romans 12 and 2. 12 and 2 says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So through this study that we're going to go through, however long it takes, the Holy Spirit is renewing our mind. He's reshaping the information that we have regarding the church and how the church functions. And we're also going to see firsthand accounts of the transformation that happens in the lives of believers when the Spirit of God is dwelling on the inside of them and they yield to the Spirit of God. You see, God, it's what we think about this. Spirit to spirit, God can communicate with us now. When Jesus was on earth with them, he was not speaking to them spirit to spirit. He was speaking to them through actual knowledge. This is why he spoke in parables. This is why he repeated his sayings and his lessons multiple times. This is why he asked a pivotal question. Of the disciples, and Peter answered. He said, who do men say that I am? This is why when he met the woman at the well, and she said, you are the Christ. How she became an evangelist for the gospel. Because she had had a... a, a, She'd had an understanding, a revelation of God was planted in her that this man, this Jesus, was the Christ. So as we go into this study, we're going to learn, we're going to see how when the Spirit of God lives inside of you, the transformation of God works from the inside out. Transformation works inside out, not outside in. And I want to say this because this is where this this is even more. I talked about this multiple different times. I talked about how our parents were the vehicle to give us life. So when I think about it, even greater today, I'm going to say it this way. Our parents or, yes, our parents provided us with a biological life. They gave us biological life so that we could live on this earth. 
But Jesus in the book of Acts provides us with spiritual life that we become connected back to our true essence. We get connected back to our Father, and it all starts in the book of Acts. So let me just jump through this. I'm going to go through this introduction tonight. I want to get to this. So let me first go with this now. Verse 1, I'm going to read some verses, and then I'm going to go back. I'm going to be using the Message Bible. I'm going to be, that's going to be my primary source because I was told to go and use a different translation for this because I want us to not think about the words that we hear in the in the King James Version or the New King James Version. So if you have a different Bible, I want you to start to read the book of Acts in, in a Bible that you've never read it before so that your mind is forced to listen or forced to hear words in, in phrases that you've never heard it before. So that's why I'm staying and I'm starting with the message translation. And I probably throughout this, I'm going to go through the New Testament in modern English, which is the J.B. Phillips translation. I'm going to be mixing this up so that we can get into a deeper understanding of the words in, in the, in the uh, phrases that are used so that we can get everything out of this. Well, I actually extend correctly. We're never going to get everything out of the word. The word is, is life. Hebrews 12, uh, Hebrews 4 and 12 said that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's, it's able to rightly divide bone and marrow, right? And it is able to separate spirit from soul. So what does that mean? This word is living. So the word of God is spiritual word. Don't ever think when you read the word of God that you are reading pages of a book. This is not a book. The, 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 the Bible was ordained by God as a spiritual life. So when we read the Bible or when we partake or we eat of the Bible, we are literally, the words are speaking to our spirit, man. Sometimes it goes in deep and sometimes it doesn't. But remember, it is spiritual words. So when you read the word of God, you're not trying to convert the word to fit your understanding. You come in when you read the word of God, you, you position yourself in a place of curiosity, open, or I'll, I'll put it this way, I'll give you an analogy. When we come to read the word of God, we're an empty jar waiting to be filled. And as you read the word of God, that word, the water of that word fills your jar. And now that jar, as you get that jar gets filled, now you can partake of that jar, whatever's in that jar, you can partake of it and it becomes part of your life. Too many people out here go looking for or looking in the word of God to substantiate or find what they need to fit into their life versus allowing their life to fit into the word. 
And we're going to see that in the book of Acts, they fit into the move of God, not it, not, not, they didn't have God try to fit into their move. And when they did not fit into the move of God, we see people died. People got cut off. And that's what's so interesting when you start to think about the first. When you first step into something, there is a greater level of power. But we must understand that in the spirit, we're always in the present. In case you didn't catch that, that was it. Because we're in the spirit, we operate in the spirit. As we are here studying this word right now, it is like we are right there in Jerusalem with the church as it is beginning. This is what Paul was saying to us when he said that if you have been baptized with Christ, are you not risen with Christ? Are you not seated with him in heavenly places? Though we live on earth, I want you to get this, our biological bodies live on this earth. But now because of our spirit, man is alive with Christ on the inside. We can be in the heavens with God. We can be in the heavens with God the Father and Jesus sitting on his right hand. And we can be right there in their presence and have a presence of God living in us and with us every single moment of our lives. We can experience God 24-7. Let me jump into this. Verse 1 through 5, it says, Dear Theopolis, in the first volume of this book I wrote, on everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he said goodbye to the apostles, the ones he had chosen through the Holy Spirit and was taken up to heaven. After his death, he presented himself alive to them in many different settings over a period of 40 days. In face-to-face meetings, he talked to them in things, I mean, he talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. As they met and ate meals together, he told them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem. He said, don't leave Jerusalem but must wait for what the Father promised. The promise you heard from me, John baptized with water. You will be baptized in the Holy Spirit and soon. So let me break down verses one through five. And I know this may feel a little academic, but it's important for us to get this foundation because Luke is setting this up in the first chapter. Now, 
most people never even considered the name Theophilus, right? So when he wrote, when Luke wrote the original letter, his greeting was to someone named Theophilus. So through history, we understand that Theophilus was a pseudo name. It was a name of a person that was incognito. So what had happened was, is Luke was writing letters to someone that was in a high status in Jerusalem or in the Roman Empire, somewhere in there, they were in a high status or even in the church. They did not want their real name to get out. So he writes to them, calling them Theophilus. And here's the thing. The, the, the name Theophilus literally means most excellent. The title alone, the name and its title means most excellence. So when you think about it, he's writing to someone and he's using the name to, 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 uh, what is the word to, uh, cover up their identity because this person is considering all the things that Jesus had did. Now you got to remember when is Luke writing this letter? The book of Acts and the Luke was written in 60, Luke was written in 63 AD. That's 30 years after the church. And the book of Acts was written in 64 AD. So roughly 30 to 31 years later is when he's writing back. So there were people that were already in the church or what would we would call them today as they were undercover Christians. But he's now ministering to this person to teach him about what Jesus did while he was on earth. And now he's going to teach them about through the book of Acts. He's teaching Theophilus what Jesus did while he was in people. And it's important to grab a hold of some of these words here because 40, the number 40, I don't know if you even thought about this. In Jewish history, in order for you to step into the role of something that it was of a senior, like in order for you to become a full-fledged Pharisee or to sit in the courts, you had to be at least 40 years old or older because 40 to the Jewish tradition is the number of maturity. The number alone means mature, means seasoned, means that you've come through some things. And the fact that Jesus, God is so amazing. The fact that Jesus stayed on the earth for 40 days before he ascended. But what was the first time that Jesus did something for 40 days? Yeah, I know. You remember. After he was baptized by John the Baptist, he was led by the Spirit of God to the desert where he stayed there for 40 days. So in the beginning of his walk with God, After stepping into his ministry, he went into the wilderness for 40 days 
to be seasoned, to test and proved. And at the end of his ministry, after he has been resurrected, he's no longer going to the wilderness people. He was amongst the people showing himself for 40 days. He was eating fish. He was talking and having communication. He was having conversations with other people, not just his disciples. So what Luke is making a point here, he is saying to Theophilus, this this person was not a ghost. This was not a myth. This was a true and actual human. Because a ghost cannot eat fish. I want you to get that. And he says that there were many witnesses, as we're going to find out. Because notice another principle in the Bible. It says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word of God be established. So we get to this understanding. He's shaping it up. He's talking about how, after his death, how everything was shaped. So now as we roll into, get this understanding in verse 2 here, here's what it says here. So it's important to grab this. He said, verse 1 and 2, he says, Luke tells Theophilus that his gospel was designed to record the things that Jesus did and taught. Grab those two points. Was designed to record the things that Jesus did did and taught starting at the beginning of his ministry, which is what the book of Luke is all about, and which Luke extended it back to the events before Jesus's conception and continued until Jesus ascended into the heavens. Right? I want you to think about when he ascended into the heavens is Luke chapter 24, verse 50 to 53. So let me read this. It says, and and then Jesus led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Now during the blessing, he departed and was taken up into heaven. So they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple courts, blessing God. I want you to grab that. Because when Jesus departed, they had joy. When Jesus left them, they had joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. Why did they have joy? Because they had the promise. Jesus told them, you are now going to receive the promise. I am not going to leave you like an orphan all alone. I am going to send you your help. Because as I was in the Gospels, I walked with you. But now I'm going to be with you. See, this is why it's interesting, because in the Gospels, one of Jesus' titles is called Emmanuel, 
God with us. You got to get that God with us. In the book of Acts, he's God in us. This is why Paul gets to Revelation and he says in 1 Corinthians, he says, do you not know that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit? No longer does God live in buildings. I don't care how old the building is. I don't care how old the cathedral is. I don't care how old the church is. God lives in his body, which is the born-again believer's that are in his church. So again, and it extends out towards the heavens. I wanted to get that. Now, as we go into verse three, look what Luke does. I'm going to break this down. I talked about the 40 days, but I'm going to give you, just going into my notes here. Luke tells Theophilus that before the ascension, the resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples on numerous occasions over 40 days. 11. Now, I'm giving you history here because this is important if people attempt to try to talk us out of our faith. 11 such occurrences are recorded and mentioned in the New Testament. And there may have been many more. (laughs) Think about it. Luke said it this way. He said, he, he says, Jesus presented himself alive in many convincing ways. One delightful example of such signs was the occurrence when Jesus took a piece of broiled fish and ate it in front of his disciples to prove to them that he was, to prove his resurrected body was real. And if you want to read that, that's in Luke chapter twenty. Verse 41, 43. I can just give it to you right now. He says, and while they and while they still could not believe it because of their joy and their amazement, he said to them, Do you have anything to eat? So the disciples gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took and ate it in front of them. Such beautiful points here. Luke also points out to Luke points to assure Theophilus that honest, reliable witnesses saw Jesus alive after the resurrection, and that what they saw was not a vision or a dream, and that Theophilus could be certain that there was a sound historical basis for his faith. I want you to get this. There is sound historical basis for the Christian faith. Records prove that Jesus was crucified. Records prove that he lied in that grave, that he was laid in that grave. It is an historical fact that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified. And I want you to get this now. 
His body was never found. Historical fact, not myth. I want you to get this. So as we keep going. Here's another one. So I want to read this. So again, so Luke says that during these appearances, Jesus spoke about things concerning the kingdom of God. Everybody hears this now. And by the phrase kingdom of God, here's what it's meant. God's plan of salvation, particularly as it had now been revealed by the coming of Jesus. So the kingdom of God, right? We hear that Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. And I mentioned this before, but I want to make sure I get this in this study here. The fact that a a kingdom, Jesus declared that the kingdom of God is now at hand. It is impossible for two kingdoms to exist at the same time. If you've gone anywhere from history, world history, one kingdom wiped out another kingdom. The fact that Jesus declared that the kingdom of God is at hand, he was actually serving notice that God's kingdom, the eternal kingdom, the kingdom that exists beyond all kingdoms, is now here. Notice in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus prayed. See, he's teaching us how to pray. But the prayer in itself was a declaration that God's kingdom had come. This is why we don't pray the Lord's prayer anymore. We can use it as a model, but Jesus came. He lived on earth. He revealed the kingdom. He died and the kingdom by him being resurrected. He took, put a stake on earth and said, this is my territory. When he went to heaven and, and sat, on the throne with the father. And when the Holy spirit came down and dwelt in the saints, he's saying now my kingdom is on the earth, but it's not on the earth. It is in the earth because it's in my church. And from the very moment that the Holy spirit lives inside of us and the church was established God set a precedence. Remember the first mentioned, the first principle. And the precedence was this, that everything from the very moment of AD 33 in the book of Acts, from that moment that the church was established until Jesus comes back again, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit is only going to work in and through the church. He is going to work in and through us. Those that are connected in his body. 
those that know his plan, those that know his purpose, those that know the immensity of the of his power. See, do you now do you understand why we went to Ephesians or why we were led to go to Ephesians? Because if you don't understand that, everything can get twisted. Church was established for God to use and for God to exist on earth and for his kingdom rule to remain in and on the earth. Everything was done from that perspective. So remember, by the phrase, the kingdom of God, it meant that God's plan of salvation, particularly, had been revealed in Jesus. It's, it's, it's from that point, that point in time, we, we, we get this amazing thing. And to speak about the kingdom of God in the early church was to declare Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies and to call all who hear this message to believe in him. I'm only on verse one through five. When you think about it, to hear this, to speak about the kingdom of God, what it's saying is, is in the early church was to declare that everything from Noah all the way up to Malachi, all the history, all that you've been taught, everything that you've heard, all the information that came from generation to generation, all that you heard was Jesus was the one. That you heard it, now it's to believe in him. What had been a mystery for centuries, actually, I mean, millennials, if you think about it, but what had been a mystery for centuries had at last been revealed in Jesus. Now, everyone could understand the truth that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed by his name. And all who would respond in faith, watch this now, and all that who would respond in faith would become citizens of the kingdom of God, or, as Paul said, adopted sons and daughters. I want to end this. I'm going to read these words to you. I'm so impressed by these words that I wrote them down, and I want to read this to you. I want to get this on tape, and this is, again, by Eugene Peterson. I want to get this out here. Let me find it. 
And it's called So Loved by Eugene Peterson. And I want you to think about these words as you're listening to this. And I want you to remember this, that everything that God did and God is doing is all summed up in these words. So loved. Here you go. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. John 3, 16 and 17. Thank you, and until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Daily Living for Christ, where we have one purpose, and that's to partner with you on your daily walk with Christ. Before you go, I have two questions I want to throw out to you. First, what insights did you gain from this episode? And number two, How will you apply those new insights in your daily walk with Christ? Remember, awareness leads to choice and choice leads to a decision. There's 86,400 moments in a day. 86,400 moments in a day. Let today be the day that you increase by one more moment with Christ. Until next time, I'm out.